Warning, this episode will contain mentions and or discussions of violence, death, kidnapping, pregnancy, and childbirth. Hello, 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 and welcome to the KAR Recap. I'm your host, Kristen Rhoda. I'm an English and music student who loves discovering, reading, and exploring old and new works of literature, television, and film. This podcast is partnered with my Instagram blog, KAR. After about two or three weeks of reading the chosen novel, I discuss the plot, the background, the characters, and certain themes and other literary devices that stuck out to me. So if you enjoyed the work, or even if you didn't like it, let's just talk. If you haven't read the book, please know that this episode contains spoilers. Remember, I'm just as curious as you are, so there's no right or wrong here, just learning and some healthy discussion. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy this episode. In this episode, I will be breaking down and reviewing one of the best books I have read by far this year. This book would be none other than The Fountains of Silence by Ruta Sepetus. The themes of love, war, secrets, and others are all rolled into one historical fiction novel set in the 1950s after the Spanish Civil War. The book was published on October 1st, 2019. Ruta Sepetus is a Lithuanian-American author who was born in Michigan on November 19, 1967. She is a daughter of a Lithuanian refugee who fled to the United States when Joseph Stalin invaded and occupied Lithuania in 1940. Sapitas originally worked in the music industry and started her own entertainment management firm, but her family history inspired her to become a writer. In her author introduction video on YouTube, she recalls when she was inspired to publish her first book, Between Shades of Grey. She said, This is my family history and I don't know about it. How many other people don't know about it? Sapitas went on to write four more novels, including her newest book, I Must Betray You, which was released on February 1st this year. She has won the Carnegie Medal, presented at NATO, the Parliament of Europe, the U.S. Capitol Building, and several other government buildings. And she was awarded the Cross of the Knight of the Order by the President of Lithuania but these are only a few of her accomplishments. Known as a crossover novelist for reaching many readers of all ages worldwide, she has received very high praise in her career as an author. And to be honest, I'm going to have to agree with them, because The Fountains of Silence was an amazing read. So with all that being said, let's go into the context and plot summary. Now for this episode, I'm going to keep the plot summary short, sweet, and to the point, since it was so long and convoluted last time. But first things first, let's talk about the historical context. Before I begin, you may want to know that in Spain at this time, Republicans were left-leaning and Nationalists were right-leaning. On July 18, 1936, a revolt broke out. At the time, Manuel Azaña was serving as the president of Spain but a group of nationalist soldiers staged a coup to overthrow the Republican government. 
the group consisted of the most influential generals in the army and was led by General Francisco Franco. The revolt caused war to break out for three years. The Nationalists won the war in 1939, and the country became a dictatorship that continued until Franco's death in 1975. The Spanish Civil War was the most horrific event in the history of Spain, and the aftermath of the war left Spain in terrible conditions, as the country was in international isolation. Spain was not recognized as one of the United Nations until the 1950s. After Franco's death, Juan Carlos I succeeded him. Instead of continuing as a dictatorship, Spain returned to a democracy, and to this day, it is a constitutional monarchy. So now let's briefly, briefly, <laughs> talk about the plot. There are a lot of point of view shifts in this novel, but I'll be concise as possible. It is 1957 in Madrid, and the Torres Moreno family lost both of their parents for resisting Franco. The three children of the family, Julia, Rafa, and Anna, along with Julia's husband Antonio and their infant daughter Lali, lived together in the same room. Julia, the eldest of the three, urged them to prioritize their work to survive. Julia is a seamstress, Anna works at a hotel, and Rafa works at the slaughterhouse and digs graves. Anna starts dreaming of leaving Spain and living freely like the American women she serves in the hotel. And Rafa tries to help his friend Fuga become a bullfighter. Their cousin Puri looks after children in the church's orphanage. Anna falls in love with a boy who travels to Spain with his family and stays at the hotel. Daniel Matheson is the son of an oil tycoon and a woman of Spanish roots. His father expects him to work in a business, but Daniel is passionate about photography and hopes to win a contest and use the prize money to attend journalism school. Meanwhile, Perry learns that the children at the orphanage were taken from Republican parents by the nuns and being adopted out to wealthier families. To make matters worse, it turns out that Julia gave birth to twins, but she was told that Lolly's twin sister had passed. The truth was that the child was taken and adopted by an American family. Also, Rafa and Fuga find empty coffins that held deceased children. Later, Fuga is killed and Rafa is incarcerated. Daniel's and Anna's relationship is at risk, but Daniel tries to make it work. Unfortunately, Anna is accused of stealing and fired from the hotel. Despite Daniel's attempt to continue the relationship, Anna tells him to go home. Daniel returns to the States and works in his father's business. His parents have adopted a baby and named her Christina. Fast forward to 1975. Franco has died, and so has Daniel's mother. Daniel travels to Madrid with Christina, who turns out to be Julia's other daughter, and he also reunites with Anna. Daniel, following Puri's advice, sets out to find the truth about the other lost children. Because, as the old saying goes, the truth will set you free. Where do I begin? The novel is well-written, it's sad, it's heart-wrenching, good lord. Well, there are a lot of great themes in here, but I'm going to focus on two of them, because I think that they're the most important ones in the novel. Secrets and Truth Throughout the book, readers are being prepared to learn a very dark secret. 
The secret about Spain is that they're taking children from Republican families and adopting them out. As in kidnapping. And poor Julia and Christina have to suffer because of this too. Piri has been caring for her since the beginning of the novel and even recommends that the Matheson family adopt her. But no one knows her true identity until later. But there are also some secrets that the characters are hiding too. For example, Anna has been receiving threatening notes accusing her of stealing, but this isn't revealed to other characters until later. However, we find out that the notes were apparently only written by a woman named Lorenza, Anna's co-worker, who was said to have done it out of jealousy. Unfortunately for Anna, it still cost her her job. But how are most stories, whether true or false, spread in a story? Word of mouth. A lot of lies were spread by word of mouth, while the truth stayed hidden. But the truth is left for everyone to find for themselves, and it sucks! Take a listen to Daniel's and Piri's conversation at the end of the novel. Daniel pauses. Forgive me for saying so, Sister Purification, but your path to the religious order has surprised me. But I'm happy you have found contentment, he says. The familiar twinge appears inside Piri. He speaks of contentment. He is probably well acquainted with it. He pursues his questions with the rigor of authority. He is never chastised, threatened, or laughed at for seeking explanation. Piri hears the threatening words of Sister Hortensia. God is calling you through these questions, Purificacion. Rather than sharing your sinful queries aloud, you will devote yourself to contemplation and prayer. You will. Piri rises to leave. Yes, she sees it all around him. Handsome and kind, Daniel Matheson knows contentment. So he assumes she does as well. It's not contentment, says Puri, walking to the door. It's a vocation. From the Latin vocare, to call. It's a calling, to love and serve. We all choose to live out our vocations in different ways. Your father has a calling to oil. Your sister mentioned your calling to photography. Our former director sister, Hortensia, she had a calling to orphans and placed so many of us. Daniel's brow lifts in surprise. Yes, any life choice involves sacrifice. Perhaps you've discovered that. I chose to enter this order seeking God, not explanations. So you see, Senor Matheson, after many years of questions and prayer, I finally felt a calling of my own, and my calling was to silence. But something you said begins, Daniel. It resonates with me. You said that knowing is something that evolves, that what we think we know can be quite far from the truth. Yes. But what if we actually do arrive at certainty? In your opinion, sister, once we discover the truth, he stares at her. What should we do? A note of hope brings Superi's heart. He knows. She walks back to the table. When you discover the truth, you must speak it aloud and help others do the same, Senor Matheson. Truth breaks the chains of silence. Perry puts a trembling hand to her chest. Her voice drops to a whisper. It sets us all free. Photography. Now the reason I want to focus on this is a very important symbol. The Guardia Civil. When we first meet Daniel, he's exploring and admiring the city. Yes, Madrid was beautiful, but Daniel experienced the first bit of darkness about Spain that would foreshadow the secret that was about to be revealed. This scene 
was one of the most masterful scenes in the novel, in my opinion. So you've got Daniel simply looking for shots, and then he comes across a nun carrying a dead infant. Of course, we can understand why she wouldn't want to be photographed, but in this instead of the nun. Her steps are quick, purposeful. She carries a small bundle wrapped in cloth. She looks constantly over her shoulder, as if she's being followed. After that, Daniel snaps a photo of the Guardia Civil, and they immediately grab him. You think a simple delete that photo right now would suffice, but no. So consider these excerpts, consider what Rafa and Fuga stumble upon later in the story, and consider what is also revealed about children. Isn't that ominous? Well, that's all the time I have for now. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to visit my blog, follow me, and share your thoughts on things I didn't touch on. My handle is at k.a.r.blog on Instagram. And stay tuned as I will be revealing the next work that I'll be discussing on Monday. If you want to know more about Ruta Sapitas, visit her website, rutasapitas.com, where you can find all sorts of information about her. Check out all of her books and give them a read. I sure know I will. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the KAR Recap. Subscribe to this podcast so that new episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. Take care, everybody, and see you next time.